Well, this story began, particularly if you, if you haven't been here for some of our series in Ruth, uh, this story began with Elimelech and his clan on the family farm back in Bethlehem when basically every unthinkable thing happens. The house of bread is hit by famine. Elimelech and his clan abandon their inheritance in Israel. They head east to the land of their enemies. Elimelech dies. His sons marry enemy women. Then both his sons die too, and the family line has been seemingly lost forever. Elimelech's story is over in the intro. You can't tell an Israelite a more tragic story than that. And certainly you can't use fewer words because that is just tight. And so the last remains, Naomi returns to her hometown empty and bitter. And it really is this story that we then pick up again in chapter 4. See, chapters 2 and 3, we're, we're sort of a bit more Ruth and Boaz. Ruth shows her loyalty. She keeps her promise. She provides for the family, all thanks to God's generous provision through his law and through the generous Boaz who obeys his law. But then, as we go through, we start to see what is God doing for this broken and destroyed family. So we get through to oh, it's the farm, there's the family farm. We're going to look at those ones a little bit later. We get through to, uh, to Boaz and to another man. You see, in the morning, Boaz heads up to the town gate, the local place of business. And it's a cross between the town hall and the, the, the stock exchange. Where are we? There we go. Meanwhile, Boaz. Uh, it's, it, it, this, is, this is sort of like a, a place you go where, you, where when, you, when you're going to get things done, when, when important things matters are on the table, this is where it all happens. And we get this unnamed redeemer, this man who possibly could marry Ruth when we all don't want him to because we're all cheering for Boaz, comes past. This is the man. And Boaz basically yells out, Oi, what's your name? Come on over. And I, and I mean that. The, 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 word, the word in Hebrew is like, like pillory manillary or something like that. It's sort, of, it's sort of like a, it's literally a so-and-so. What's your name? Old mate. The, uh, bloke. It's, and you think, hold on, why doesn't he get a name? Everyone else gets a name. Come on, sit down. And the funny thing is he, he kind of does. Boaz, Boaz, Boaz sort of looks, it's almost like he runs the joint. It, he almost comes across like the mayor of Bethlehem here in the way that he says things and then just things just happen. Now, Boaz lays out the situation here. You've got to understand it. Naomi is selling Elimelech's land, okay? There is a plot of land and all the men from that family are dead. So that line is ended. Elimelech probably sold it off to someone else when he, when he, when he went off, but that's all going to get reset the next year of Jubilee, so... Who, it's got to stay in the family somehow. And the Redeemer, it's their job to do it. It should be kept within the family. And so he says to this man, the right is yours. You're the closest. You don't have to, but you can if you want. I'm keen, but you've got first dibs. Now, from this unnamed man's perspective, this is a simple and a beneficial transaction. Just go back. I just want to show you sort of, this is not actually Bethlehem because Bethlehem these days doesn't have, you know, family property. So this is actually like where Mel's parents' farm is just on Google Maps because I knew that it had farm bits, right? So just pretend it's Bethlehem and pretend that it's barley, not sugarcane, okay? So we've got here. So we're just going, this is Boaz's inheritance just for sake of argument, right? He's got a patch there. Then across the race course, you've got Elimelech's inheritance there. Um, and then, you know, across the road there, you've got Mr. No-Name's inheritance. And these are their patches of land. Now, 
For Mr. No Name, this is a simple and beneficial business transaction. He just simply buys Elimelech's inheritance. He increases the size of his holding. He sounds like he's keen to expand. He says, yep, I'll do it. Sounds like he's got the cash available. Let's go. It's, it, it gets absorbed into his family, and because there's no other male for it to revert back to who's closer, he's the closest family, all of a sudden, man, his family inheritance, his, his standing in Israel, potential just got doubled. Looking good. Oh, and Boaz just sort of, just as he's about to get very excited, Boaz throws in the catch. By the way, just one more thing. Elimelech's line isn't quite finished. Ruth remains. You have to, if you, want to, if you want the land, you actually have to redeem the family with it. You see, remember the purpose of the redemption of the land. It's not about finances. It's about family. It's about caring for our people. It's about preserving the line and looking out for your, your, your close one, your brother, your cousin. That's the purpose of this. But for Mr. No Name, whoo, this changes things. See, see the, the business side of this is now very radically different. See, okay, this previously, this had been a, a situation where he was going to absorb this into his inheritance, pass it on to his children, his children, are like double their inheritance. Um, it's not ideal, of course, Elimelech's clan is gone, but at least the land stays within the family. But now it's going to be complicated. See, what would happen is Naomi would still sell him the field, but he also takes on Ruth. Now, what that means is if Ruth bears him a son... That son, that first son, is not Mr. No-Name's son. In terms of inheritance, he is of Elimelech's line. So when he grows up, he would take back the family property as Elimelech's heir. When the next year of Jubilee comes up and we cancel all debts and things go back to it, he counts as being part of that line, so it goes back to him. Even though Mr. No-Name paid for it to get it back from whoever they sold it to at some point. See, now all of a sudden, I've got to pay for land... I'm going to lose it at some point eventually. I'm going to, someone else is going to, it's going to be given to someone else. Who's, it's not going to be my kids. It's be this other kid who, yes, is my kid, but it's, it's a Limelech's heir. And oh, now it's not so good for me. And in fact, what would happen if maybe, maybe I only had one son? Mr. No Name risks possibly... Maybe in a dispute, maybe something happens, and it's actually possible he could lose his, his inheritance. He could become Elimelech if it doesn't go well for him. And he's doing those calculations. Adding into it, you've got to marry a Moabitess, and the, the, the sort of social shame is going to come along with this, and oh, yeah, yeah, I am out, Mr. No Name says. Nope, not me. Sorry, you're going to have to do this, because I cannot you redeem it yourself. I can't endanger my own estate. What are you talking about? That's, I can't do this. Now remember, it's not because he can't afford it, because he was already previously in, but because he's scared for his future. And now we see why Boaz invited 10 elders along. Just go back a section. Here, he says, uh, right at the very start, he says, um, <clears throat> come and sit down, come and sit down. And they did so. Where's the, where's the ten elders? Goodness gracious, I can't find the ten elders. Sorry about that. Is it this one? Previous one. Sorry, I've look, I should look back this way. 
Oh, of course, they're, goodness gracious, not the same as in my paper Bible. Thank you, guys. Uh, he, he brings them in for, as a witness. You see, he wanted all this on record because he wasn't going to let this guy redeem the land without also taking care of Elimelech and Naomi and Ruth. This is, this is the time of judges, right? This is the time of swindles, the time of judges. There's no justice in this time. So he puts him on the spot publicly. He says, I want your signature on the dotted line. I want you to officially renounce your right of redemption. Here, here's the contract signed on the dotted line. Actually, in fact, he takes his shoe off and he's right, right here. I want your sandal. Give me your sandal. It's a little bit awkward and weird, but that's how they did it. That's, that was the handshake. That was the spit in your hand, shake your hand, blood, whatever, whatever the ritual is. Their ritual was you take off your shoe and you offer it to your guy. And if, everyone, if there are witnesses there, that is a cemented contract. That is what is happening. So now... He can't say, oh, no, 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 no. There can't be an accident arranged for Ruth or anything like that. Boaz now secured the right that he can move ahead. And my goodness, he really, really does. Man says to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. And then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, hey, you guys are witnesses. Today, you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. <laughs> Today, you are witnesses. He calls, you're witnesses, you're witnesses, you're witnesses. He, he wants to make sure everyone knows this is happening. It's now secured. I will risk the loss of my inheritance, he says. I will risk the loss of face marrying a Moabite test. I will risk the loss of my name and reputation in order to do the right thing. Now, you guys are my witnesses. It's a bit like a marriage in one sense itself, where you publicly make yourself accountable to treat your husband or your wife well in front of everyone. There's a... Um, uh, I don't know if any of you uh, follow the Premier League. Obviously, I do. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, a terrible, awful, disgusting, horrible football team. And um, uh, I'm not, I hate them with all my guts, or at least I used to. But now Ange Postacoglu, who I love with all my guts because he was Brisbane Roar's coach, now is their coach, and now completely conflicted. And so, because we've got this great Aussie manager of this terrible team. Uh, but one of the things that he did recently to fan Q&A was just so powerful. Um, there was, it was all very schmoozy, very run by the, by the, the PR people. It was all, all sort of done very slick and well done, and they're moving him on because they need him to get to do other things. And, and, and a bunch of fans had had their hands up for ages and not been able to ask a question. And there was this one bloke in the middle, young guy, who he, he pretty clearly had a disability. It was kind of pretty obvious as well that it would have taken a long time for him to get his question out because it just, it, it just the way that he spoke, it would have been difficult to, to hear him and uh, difficult to uh, understand the question and it would have taken ages. It would have been just really not smooth, not commercially viable. And Andrew said, no, no, I, th I think there was one question left. And stop and took the time to do that. Now, at the next, at the next press conference afterwards, you know, you can imagine all the press are like, fantastic, this is a great PR story. You know, no, Ange, the, Ange the awesome, Ange the, the, the you know, the, um, the, the guy who looks out for the little guy, the one who's sort of against, you know, sort of, they're using the PR to spin how he's so anti-PR. It's just, you know, the irony is magic. And he, and, and Ange just, he just, he just sits there and he's hating the way that he can see that that's what they're doing. And he says, look, my dad told me 
uh, when I was growing up, he, he said, you don't, you don't tell everyone that you're going to do the right thing, you just do the right thing. And just refuse to answer any more questions about it. And you sort of see Boaz doing that here. It doesn't matter what people think. You don't ask, will doing the right thing benefit me somehow? Is it, it's a, is it a PR stunt? You just do it. Because it's the right thing to do. Uh, the true redeemer here didn't do the maths to work out whether it was going to be a decent investment for him, whether people would, would think, you know, he's great. Like, this is not a, this is not a, this is like, Boaz reads beautifully in PR language for us because it's, you know, he's, he's not racist. He's so loving and inclusive. It matches the values of our time, but it didn't match the values of his time. He looked like an idiot and he looks, he looks like a bit sort of lower class and dirty and, um, why would you do that? It's only because the gospel of Jesus has changed our time that, that, that he somehow matches it. He says, my brother's line is in danger and I can do something about it, so sure, I'll risk all my stuff. It's just the right thing. It's just, it's just what you do. It's the right thing to do. Now, at work, when there's shady behavior and it'll cost you to right that wrong, but you can do so, what do you do? I know it's hard, and I know it's, it, it's so tempting to see it almost like you can't do anything about it, but is it really true that you can't do anything about it? I, I, I see all of these cases in myself where I dither, and, and it's easy to, to, to pretend. Or, But we've got to be the people who do the right thing. At school, when you can cheat... Right? Imagine you can. You can get away with it. And, and it won't hurt anyone else. In fact, you actually probably deserve the marks that you're going to get because your teacher didn't give you the extension on the last assignment. And the assignment before that gave you a really bad mark. Totally unfair. And so this is really just righting the wrongs. But, no, you do the right thing. Because you trust God. Now, that's Boaz. That's just what he's like. Now, the, the, the community... The community actually, actually, like in this strange, slightly unusual, like it reads so normal to us because we're so, we're so on board with this. We're sort of like loving this love story, as I am, as I'm reading. I'm loving this love story. I think this is so admirable. It so matches the, 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 the ethics sort of that, that I sort of grew up with. And they pray for these guys. They celebrate them. This is actually slightly unexpected there. And, and it's, it's just beautiful. They not only sort of praise it and say, yes, we'll support you in this. They actually... They actually pray that God will bless Boaz's name because he was willing to give up his name. They bless his inheritance because he was willing to give up his inheritance. It's really, really beautiful the way that they join in. Now, this is actually a, a, a resurrection story. It really, really is. Now come back to verse 15. Down the bottom there in the, the second paragraph here on the screen. The women talk to Naomi and they say, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel, meaning Boaz. He will renew your life. The line was dead. In fact, the next bit then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Naomi's got a son, they say. 
there are some grandmas who I know, and it sometimes for a while it's a little bit like they have a son. They're not. They don't let them go, and the, the parents that really struggle to get them back. Like the the joy of this. And the good thing is, is that just like in that situation, Naomi can give it back. <laughs> This is perfect. Like, I, I don't know, like, maybe there's some grandmas in the room who can tell us just how good the situation is going to feel for Naomi. This is magic. The joy in her soul after so many years of depression. Her line, her husband's line was dead. No name left, no inheritance. And yet here, here we see that death is no barrier to God's ability to bring blessing. We saw a little bit last week, but here again, there's this new life from an impossible situation because of God's Redeemer. If you calculate everything in your life and you sort of look at some of the sacrifices you're making for God and you think, oh, look, I'm not convinced this is going to stack up. I don't know if it's worth it. I, 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 don't, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be good. Maybe, maybe if you look at someone else and the suffering that they've been through, and many of you will know people who've hurt severely, and maybe you've even thought the, th- the thought, mate, why did God even allow them to live? They've just been through too much. That's just not fair. Just too much. Just unthinkable. And you think, could, it have been, could they have been better off if God had not even let them be born because of what he has put them through? If that is your thought, remember this truth. Death is no barrier to God's ability to bring blessing doesn't stop him there's no end to his capacity to do that into the future and if you're looking around at this world and thinking well kind of what's the point there is so much suffering you're being short-sighted we're being short-sighted and we are all short-sighted because we're not we're not God and we can't see what he's doing from beginning to end but God will bring about a new world and a whole new life with meaning. It's not just sort of like the award ceremony sort of at the end and then it sort of like feels a bit pointless. No, a whole new life of full relationships, of full joy. The kind of thing that you imagine Naomi's really looking forward to the rest of her life with Obed, watching him grow. And, and she's, she's not sort of sitting there sort of thinking, oh, I got my, got my reward and now I'm going home sticking him on the shelf. No, she's looking forward to living life. And death is no barrier to God's ability to bring a blessing and a future life, no matter what no matter even death. Um, maybe, maybe you're in a spot where you're feeling that there's just no way that your spiritual spark can come back. Maybe you're flat. Maybe your connection with God's low. Maybe you're not, not, not just living a, a life of connection and joy with Him, but it feels like maybe there's nothing there. It'd be dead inside. Some of you might feel that. I tell you, there are people in this room who have despaired of life itself, let alone having a sense of being loved by God and connected with Him. And yet they are different now. Things are different for many of them now. And they will be with God forever, enjoying Him with a pure and joyful heart. And nothing will be able to stop that. God says in this beautiful little story, return to me and I'll take care of you. And some of us are like, not yet, God, I've got to, clean, got to clean my act up, then I can come to you and not feel so stupid when I'm doing it. And God's like, no, 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 no. Naomi didn't clean herself up, and I took care of her. I want to take care of you now. I want to be with you now. I want to be with you while you're sort of half messed up. Before God visited his people and blessed them with food when Naomi was still even in Moab. 
just come back to me. Don't stay in Moab. Don't stay in Babylon. Don't stay in sin. Return to me, says God. This is, this is the story of the whole book. So uh, there might be something in your life that is actually keeping you further from God than what is good for you to be. I know that there are things for me. What is it for you? Is there something in your life where you're like, actually, hold on, no, this is actually keeping me from being closer with God. Is there a way I can return to God from it? Is it, is it pornography? That'll do it to you. Is it simple life habits? Is it work? Is it, is it a bit of relationship with someone that you can't bring forgiveness to? Just come back to me, says God. Don't sort it out so that you can come back to me. Come back to me and together in my blessing and my forgiveness and my love and my grace. That's where we'll sort that out. Let me do that. I, that's my thing. I am the Redeemer. Just come back. Just come back. Just come back. Now, I, I, I fed, um, fed Paul a few lines there, so uh, he was very generous to, uh, to help... help uh, um, Pre, pre, sort of uh, load the talk with some of those thoughts about when the um, when the story might have been told. So here's a big sort of timeline of the Old Testament here, and sort of got you know creation and Abraham and going to Egypt and coming out. And this time here, that's the time of the judges before you get to David. But this time here, I think, is probably more likely when the book got published, as it were. When it, when, it, when it became spread around, when everyone was talking about it. Because that question would have been very real. Do we return? Do we go back? I, mar- I, I married a Babylonian girl. What's, what's, how's she going to be treated when we get home? I, I've heard about that Nehemiah guy. He's ripping men's hair out and beating them for, for having married foreign women. I ain't, well, I ain't going back. We can't meet his standards. Why would I go back to church? The roof will fall on my head. But then you get to the end of, this, of this, these chapters. There's this really beautiful thing in verse 15. Do you remember how um, uh, I was mentioning in talk one, where in chapter one, where the word return just comes up in like, like 10 times in nine verses or 10 times in 12 verses, something like that. Just return, 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 return. Well, it does it again in verse 15. When it says that he will renew your life, it is he will return your life to you. And then, interestingly, sustain you in your old age. Literally, I'll sustain you in your grey. But the word grey is exactly the same word as the word for return, just with a little extra ending on it. And then, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, seven is the word return with that little bit on it, with one little more bit on it. It's sort of like, I, I, I cannot think, I'm so sorry, I racked my brains to think of a better thing than this. But imagine like a, um, uh, 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 a very anti-men, like this is hyper-stereotypical, right? So there's nothing against feminism in any way, shape or form. But a very anti-men, sort of, that's why I apologize for the illustration, but a very anti-men uh, person gets up and says, what's wrong with the world? Well, I meant to mention that it wasn't menopause. You see the men, men, men all through the, the, fronts of the, the fronts of the phrases, the implication. Right. Now, forget all of that, please. Forget all that. No, no statement about that. But, but that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, return, return, return. He will return you to your life and sustain you in your return, which is just sounds like grey, and then he's better to you than seven sons. Return, 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 return. 
in the last lines of the whole book. This was, God, this, was, this was really God pleading for his people to come back from Babylon. That it's going to be forgiveness you're going to get. That you've paid for your sins. That the, the sins have been paid for. That I'm going to redeem you and bring you back. And it's going to be okay no matter how you've fared. Whether, whether you've become not kosher and you've been taken up eating pork while you've been in Babylon. Uh, whatever has been the case. Married a foreign woman. Please come back to me, says God. And let me cover you with my cloak, as Boaz did with Ruth. Now, look, the end of this book is beautiful. Um, Boaz became a famous man. Did you notice that the genealogy is quite cool as an ending for this? Uh, His willingness to give up something in order to do the right thing was rewarded by God by giving him the very thing that he was willing to give up. A name. This man was actually the, the, the great-granddad of King David, the greatest king, the one that all of the other kings looked back to and had to measure up to. But of course, this line does not end here. Because actually, this line keeps going on in Matthew chapter 1. You see, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of David goes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through. And you might see back there, Boaz, the father of Obed in the middle, whose mother was Ruth. In case you missed the point, Matthew wants to make sure you don't. And goes all the way through Hezekiah, Manasseh, and so on and so on. Yep, until Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See, the funny thing that, about God's providence and God's arranging of all the circumstances that happened in Ruth is that even the person who wrote the book of Ruth had no idea just how much... He was underestimating, she was underestimating the kind of reputation that Boaz received for being willing to lose his reputation. That's the point of the book. When you see, when you see Mr. No Name, the guy who's like, "Oh, I can't, I can't risk my reputation. I can't risk my losing my name," and then we don't even know his name, and yet we know Boaz's name two thousand years later, three thousand years later. Sorry, more. And that person who wrote that story, saying, "Oh man, you, you, you see how silly that guy was to give up." You have got no idea how much he gave up. How how, how Boaz was the the one who was the the great-grandfather of the one who saved the universe. That's his family line. And it'll be so into eternity. I feel like it's sort of a little bit impossible not to go further on in, in Matthew now. Um, there's a, actually, could, could you just bring us through to the Matthew 16 um, slide? It's just the next slide there, but you've got to click all the way through the chapter on this one to get to it. There's this little bit where Jesus starts talking about how to follow him. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Be killed, lose his life. Peter says, no, that's not how this is going to work for you. He's, he, he's, he's Mr. No Name. Can't, can't give up your life. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. You, you don't understand how this works. You don't know, you don't know God. 
So Jesus, to teach them, says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? God will reward those who do this. There are so many of you that I see walking this path. Where you give up hours, you give up pleasures, you give up preferences, you give up time to serve Jesus, to make Jesus look good. And God will reward you. It's unlikely that it's going to look like winning the lotto, but God is so good that he never fails to bring blessing in response to your works that have been done in trust. He doesn't love you anymore because of them. He does not love you any different because of them. But you will be, to, to lay down your life to serve Jesus, to serve him, not yourself, you will be included in the joy of your father's work in a way that you can't be if you don't. There is something different there. Mr. No Name missed out. I hope he is not in a suburb in heaven full of Aussies. Because, like, you can just imagine, like, if he, if so, imagine, like, cause I don't know if he's in heaven, but I, he might be, could easily be. Redeemed by Boaz's great grandson, who he gave up being the great granddad of himself because he wanted to preserve his own name. Like, I mean, he's just going to get ribbed for eternity if he's, if he's in a suburb full of Aussies for that. So maybe you're feeling the cost of some of the ministry that you do. Be encouraged and have joy. There's no way God is going to let you not be rewarded for that. Now, of course, that's not why we do it, because otherwise we'd be like Mr. No Name, trying to secure our own inheritance. No, 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 no. We just love our God and trust our God, and we do the right thing because we follow him and we trust him. We walk the path after Jesus. Yes, it's the path that, path that we walk after him. But the main thing to remember here, so as much as, yes, that's got to be the character of our life, he is the great redeemer. Yes, we want to be like him, but you're never going to be him. He purchased a farm, not, for, not, not, not a farm for us to inherit, but, but a wholly renewed world for us to inherit. A, a whole new creation for us to live and breathe and work and keep. A whole new life to come. That's why we follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for having a redeemer for us. God, it's, um, it, it's kind of hard because sometimes we, uh, we don't see it like this. We think like Mr. No Name and we, we end up just preserving ourselves. And your Father, just as your son told us, that's, that's not wisdom and it's not your way. He had to teach Peter a different way. So Father, we ask that you would teach us. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we do not need to be the ones to redeem ourselves and you're not asking that of us. You're not asking us to work harder. You're not asking us to be more, to, to, to put anything more on our shoulders. But Father, you have always carried us on your shoulders with your goodness and we are safe and secure and can rest in your peace and in your smile and in your joy. And yet, Father, as our, as our energies do recover, as in your resurrection power we do have new life come into our bones through the love that you give to us. Father, as we feel our strength return, even if it's been a time of great, maybe feeling almost like death and emptiness. And Father, we pray that you would 
like Jesus, teach us to walk after him. To not live to save our life, knowing that that's your job as the Redeemer. But live willingly giving up our life to bring blessing to others and to bring glory to Jesus who has redeemed us. Father, we pray that you give us that heart of Boaz, but the humility to be willing to be rescued as you rescued Naomi. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.